Amen. All right. So this morning, I talked about what we did this last Sunday. This last Wednesday, if you weren't here, man, a lot of things you guys are missing out if you aren't here. Um, but this last Wednesday, we celebrated Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. As the sun went down on Wednesday night, um, that was uh, the beginning of that feast or that Jewish holiday. The highest of Jewish holy days is the Day of Atonement, as you guys know your Sunday school. That's that one day that one man could go into the Holy of Holies uh, in the temple. And um, so... Jonathan Mickelson did a great job of leading us in a time of just teaching and reminding us of what all that meant on Wednesday night. And then the Lord showed up. There was things that were kind of in my heart, and it was just good. Uh, everything Jonathan said and everything that was going on, that he reminded us that um, the Jewish holidays, right? There's, there's um, the spring festivals and the fall festivals. And okay, you guys are getting a Sunday school lesson right now, whether you want it or not. Um, but there's seven Jewish feasts that the Lord kind of lays out all throughout, the, that Moses lays out in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, all these things. And so um, this one is not the very last one. Uh, there's actually one more feast that happens this week. Um, it's uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so if you are celebrating Jewish feasts, you got one more to go, and then you got to wait till springtime. Um, but we are in the midst of those. And so really quick, I'll try to do this in two minutes, see if I can do it really fast. Um, these seven Jewish festivals, it starts off with Passover. We all know that one, right? Passover, Jesus had a Passover meal with his disciples, and then he was crucified, and he was the Passover lamb, the blood poured over the doorposts of our lives, right? So he is the Passover lamb. And then um, it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And in these spring festivals or fall, uh, and fall ones, they all kind of happen really close together. You have this time period in between, and then these ones happen all together. So you have Passover. Jesus dies on the cross on Passover. And then the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's when Jesus' body is put in the tomb. And it's his body, the broken bread, that is, right, his body was bruised, right, so that we could be healed. And he is that unleavened bread. And so that's, that's the festival. He is fulfilling that physically on that day, that, on the calendar date. That's when Jesus was in the tomb. And then when Jesus rises from the dead, that's the third spring feast, all boom, 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 right into each other. And that's the uh, festival of first fruits. Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits of our resurrection. And so you have these um, spring feasts, and then you wait 50 days, right? And what happens on the 50th day? Pentecost. Penta, meaning 50. Pentecost, right? And so we know the story of Pentecost, the Bible, that's when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so that happened. And those have all been fulfilled. Those Old Testament festivals and feasts have been fulfilled. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Passover lamb, uh, the unleavened bread, and the first fruits, and then the Holy Spirit came, Passover. And now there's three fall feasts that are unfulfilled, that when Jesus returns, he's going to fulfill these three coming feasts. And so the first of that being um, the Rosh Hashanah, the new year, the feast of trumpets, that when the trumpet sounds... Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. When he returns, he's not going to come as a suffering servant. He's going to come as a king, right? And so he's going to fulfill that feast of trumpets, that new year, inaugurating a new season, right? All old things will pass away. Behold, he's going to make all things new. A new year is coming. So I love that. And then you have, see, I'm going through my Rolodex of all the Jewish festivals. See if I can remember all of them. Um, so then you have the feast of trumpets. Then the next one we just celebrated last Wednesday was the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. And we are going to sit in front of Jesus on a day of judgment. All of us, whether you're a believer of Jesus Christ or not, it says that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and that we will be judged according to what we did here on earth. And praise God, 
we have been accepted. That word you heard already this morning. That because of Jesus, if we believe Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we believe that he died on the cross, that he rose again, and we put our hope and our faith in him and we make him the Lord of our lives, then during that judgment day, it says that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And he's like, oh, Cecile, I see your name right here. You're accepted, right? And so it's all these different things that he is judging. And so I love that all these things are going to be fulfilled. And then finally, the last one, which is what we're going to celebrate this week, if you want to, is the Feast of Tabernacles, where they would remember that they used to be in temporary tents, and then they would build a new place to live in and celebrate this feast in this new dwelling. What does that remind you of what Jesus is going to do, right? We have these old body tents, this old earth, and heaven and earth are going to pass away. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. We have a new home to live in, and so we are going to fulfill all these feasts. And so whether you want to know all about Jewish holidays or not, you got it. I love it. I love celebrating. I, I love the history behind it because it's testified. As I said last Sunday, there's power in testimony. Reminding ourselves of what Jesus has already done and then also pulling into our current day, oh, but Jesus is coming again. And we are getting ready. People get ready. Jesus is coming again. And so that's part of where we're at this morning is I, I want to talk to you in the heels of this Day of Atonement. This day where we are to uh, remember that we need to be forgiven, that we need Jesus' blood poured over the doorposts of our lives, that we need to be forgiven. And so in this attitude and this posture of just repentance, uh, humility, going low, and reminding ourselves of these things, I just wanted to speak today uh, about that. The title of this morning's message, if I had to have one, I don't have a PowerPoint slides for you, um, is if I had to title it, maybe Accepted to be Acceptable. You and I, we have been accepted by Jesus to be acceptable, to be acceptable just as he is. And so I'm getting that from Isaiah 61, which I tie into the Day of Atonement, um, where Jesus read from Isaiah 61. He began his earthly ministry, right? He went into his hometown in Nazareth, and he goes into the synagogue, and they bring him. He sits in the teaching seat. He's, he's the rabbi to teach that Sunday morning. Maybe not Sunday morning, maybe Friday night, Sabbath, um, and uh, he goes to read, and he reads from Isaiah 61, right, where he says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, and he has anointed me, right, to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, and then he says this in, in verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and Isaiah 61 verse 2 says, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn. But if you read in Luke chapter 4, Jesus doesn't read all of Isaiah 61. He stops in verse 2, and he stops halfway through part 2, verse 2. He says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, and he's anointed me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he stops. What about the day of vengeance of our God? Yeah, Jesus is coming to do that as well. But again, he's already fulfilled things, and he's going to fulfill things one day. Jesus' first coming... He came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He will come again to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. One day, justice will be served. One day, every sin will be accounted for. Praise God, my sins have already been paid for. But one day, the injustices of this world, the evil that goes on in this world, there is a day of reckoning. There is a day of judgment. There is a day when it will be fair. Jesus will be fair. But right now, it's the time of his favor. It's the, it's the acceptable, and I love this. Isaiah said it right. It's the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of judgment of our God. 
We are living in a season, a prolonged year of acceptance. There is coming a day of judgment. But Jesus came in his first coming to proclaim an acceptable year. We are living in a season where Christ is accepting people into his kingdom. There will be a day where there will be no more accepting. There will be a final day where there's no more choosing whom you're going to serve. We're living in a season where we get to be accepted. And so I, I love this. There's, there's just so much analogy that's all in this idea that this day of atonement, what Jews would do, if you weren't here on Wednesday, I won't recap everything, but Jonathan talked about how from Rosh Hashanah to the day of atonement was 10 days. And they call it the 10 days of mourning or repentance or reflecting or getting our hearts ready. Because what would happen on the day of atonement is in Jewish history, not just in the Old Testament, but you would read in the Oh, uh, there's different words for the, um, the Mishnah and all these different things that Jewish scholars are right over these thousands of years. They would understand that what God would do is he would bring the books. And during these 10 days, he would decide to write down your name. Is it going to be an acceptable year for you? Or is it going to be a year of vengeance, right? Of where God pours out his wrath. Where he's like, all right, I'll, I'll remove my hand of blessing and I'll let you have your own consequences. And so these Jewish people, what they would do is they'd say, oh my goodness, God's about to decide my fate for the whole next year. So they would fast and pray and say, God, forgive me. And they would find ways where they've been wrong this last year. And they say, oh, I don't want to do that again this whole year coming up, God. So I'm going to repent of these things. I'm not going to keep doing this anymore. And they would search their hearts and they would ask God, show me if there be any wicked way in me. And it was just this season of brokenness and humility before the Lord that was so healthy and good for people to do. And I feel like we are in that same season. Yes, we're in the season of being accepted, but acceptance comes on the heels of humility and repentance. Yes, God is gracious. He's slow to get angry. But there's a connection to our response. I was thinking about this. Uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if Jonathan said it or not. I don't think he did. Um, but during the Day of Atonement, uh, a Jew, even to this day, if you find an uh, Orthodox Jew, they go to church or to the temple, right, synagogue. They go five times that day. Oh, my goodness. I can remember when I grew up in this church, I came to early morning service, I came to Sunday school in between, and then I went to second service, and then we came back to church that night. You guys remember that? We went to church four times in one Sunday, right? I have no problem doing that again. I love church. I love being here, as I said, as I opened up the service. I love being here. But there's something about it where they would come five times on one day. That just happened a few days ago. And what would they do? Part of their services, they would read the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. Why would they read about a whale or a big fish? Like, why would, why would they remind themselves about a big fish? Well, if you remember the story of Jonah, God tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, right? Remember, there's a lot of Sunday school history going on this morning. Um, go to Nineveh, right? And go tell them to repent. And what does Jonah do? Does he go right away? No, he goes to Tarshish. He gets on a ship going the opposite direction. And he's like, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I don't like those Ninevites. I don't, they're, the, they're our enemies, God. They're evil people. I don't want to tell them any good news. I don't want to even tell them to repent. So I'm out of here, right? And then we know he gets thrown overboard. The fish swallows them. Three days in the belly of the fish gets spit out. Then finally goes to Nineveh. And as the story goes, he's obedient. And he tells everybody to repent. And what does Nineveh do? They repent. And Jonah was jumping up and down with joy. They listened to God's repentance, right? 
No. He was angry. And I want to read to you. I think I have the verse for it. Jonah 4.4. 4. This is uh, Jonah, the book of Jonah is only four chapters. And so this is the last chapter. But in Jonah 4.4, 4, this is what Jonah says and what God says in reply to Jonah. Let me pull it up. Come on. I got it in here somewhere. There it is. Jonah became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. That's a good idea. Always. If you ever want to go to God, you should start complaining. He'll love it. Jonah became very angry, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. We, we read this and somewhat, I laugh tongue in cheek because Jonah, my goodness, like over the top dramatic. Just kill me now. God, you're so gracious and kind and giving and forgiving. Oh my goodness, just kill me. Like he's kind of a character, right? Like Jonah, get over it. Like, come on, he's, he's being who God is. And yet, as I'm going through the day of atonement, as I called our church to a time of fasting, as I've been praying for, I'll just say it, in my mind, Wicked and evil people in my nation. The Lord reminded me, what did Jonah do? He complained about evil and wicked people and God having compassion on evil, wicked people. Oh, wait a second. The shoe fits, wear it. Like, right? I was like, I complained to God about things going on in my nation. And I tell him, oh, they're evil, they're wicked. And it never crosses my mind that God actually wants to be compassionate to evil people. Well, not them. I mean, God can be compassionate to me, right? Like that's, yeah, God, be compassionate to me, but not them. Jonah is angry. He's angry. He doesn't like the Ninevites. He doesn't like what they're doing. He doesn't like what they're causing problems for the people of God. And this is a season where the Jews will read this story and they recognize, oh man, Jonah missed it. Where have I missed it, God? Where have I been angry? And we didn't actually finish that 4-4 because God replies to Jonah's complaints. You probably read it before. I didn't, I didn't finish reading it, right? But what, is, what does God reply? Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. So verse 4, Jonah 4-4, four, four, it says this. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? About me being compassionate? About wanting to forgive people? About accepting people who don't deserve it? Ooh. So on the heels of this Jewish festival of repenting, where do we have to repent of things? It did not go well with Jonah. I want it to go well with me. So I've got to learn. This phrase where the Lord came to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? I have the context of this morning's sermon, but I feel like that word is a word for Ryan Donnelly way beyond just this sermon this morning. I'll be honest with you. I've been noticing that throughout my life, there's times I get angry too easily. 
And then I justify things like getting angry about things that are evil. Well, like anger, like Jesus was angry. He went into the temple and overturned tables, right? There was evil things going on. And so it was righteous anger. So anger isn't evil, right? Jesus got angry. We should get angry about evil in our country and all these things. So I'm justified in my anger. And the Lord just keeps putting his finger. Ryan, is it right for you to be angry about this? And I justify and I justify and I justify. But when I finally just stop justifying myself, all right, God, what are you saying? It isn't right for me to be angry about this. That means I have to change. Oh, who loves changing, right? But I'll tell you, even this week, I felt like the Lord, this, I'm just, this is not my notes, this is just kind of internal dialogue between me and the Lord in my own devotional time. I felt like the Lord is saying, as I've been spending some time fasting, we spent these Wednesdays fasting, I was doing some other types of fast on top of that. I felt like the Lord is saying, what if you stop fasting food, Ryan? What if you actually stop fasting getting angry? I was like, oh. <laughs> like anytime you start to get frustrated, put an end to it. Even if you're justified, even if what's going on is like you should have righteous anger and indignation. What if you just took a fast from it? Oh, wow. And the Lord was reminding me, I don't, we'll get there in a little bit, where God talks to the nation of Israel. You fast food and you do all these things, but this is the kind of fast I'm calling you to. We'll get there in a second, but I just feel like there's something on this about a broken and repentant heart, not standing like Jonah, where he knew the Ninevites didn't deserve it, and yet it was hard for him to see God be gracious and compassionate and kind. Okay, I'll connect. I didn't know if I was going to do this morning or not, but I will. Um, I'll get more specific. Last Sunday, I said something about our own governor. And even how I've been praying. I was praying for what I wanted to happen. And I'll be honest, I look back at my prayers after this whole week. They were not bathed in compassion and acceptance and honor. And I realized the Lord has been working on my heart to change my attitude towards my governor. Well, I didn't vote for him. He's my governor. He's my governor. I'm accepting him as my governor, and I'm learning how to pray for him as I would want for you to pray for me as your leader. <sighs> really, my prayers have changed this whole week. From God, deal with evil, bring wisdom, you know, rot out the corruption, do all these different things. All the, and I'm like, God, just be gracious and kind. He's got young kids. Help him to enjoy being a dad. May he find fulfillment in the callings that you have in his life. God, there is a, an anointing on his life to be a leader. So God, may he enjoy leading. I mean, my prayers have just been night and day different. And I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just being real and honest with you. There's something, in, repentance means you actually change. And there is, I can, I'm, again, I'm trying to be honest with you. I'm just trying to be transparent. There is something, I've not arrived yet, but there is something that is changing inside of me. And I'm saying, God, keep up the good work that you started. Keep changing the way I think about people that before I labeled as evil. I'm just being honest with you. I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't vote and that you shouldn't ha you know, care about justice and all the things that are biblical. I'm not saying that you shouldn't care about those things. I'm saying my attitude my perspective, it needs to change. Hmm. 
So I have tons of scripture, and there's no way I'm going to get to all of it this morning, so totally fine. Whoever's doing the words, sorry, I'll probably won't get to all of it. For all of you, I know I say this a lot, but I just always prepare way more, and I'm trying to see what the Lord wants to say in all these different ones. Um, I'll quote this one really fast. 1 Samuel 2.35. God is wanting to bring in, just give really quick context. Samuel is a new priest. Eli was the current priest. He had two sons, and they were wicked and evil. And God is saying, all right, within the religious system, something needs to change. The course and direction of the religious institution in the nation of Israel was corrupt. Not the government, but the religious institution. And God is saying, we need to bring a new way of doing things. And so he says this in 1 Samuel 2.35. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I believe the Lord is doing something in me, in the church at large, and I might, I'm willing to be labeled, whatever you want to say, a sympathizer, too soft, um, I'll just say it, not conservative enough, whatever, all those different labels you might throw on me. But I feel like the Lord is saying, as I said last Sunday, it's time for the church to get off the cruise ship onto the battleship. I hope we recognize the battleship is not a political battleship. The battleship is on our knees, in prayer, in humility, praying for those in authority over us. I, we've been saying this for a while, but I just feel like the Lord is not letting us get off, get off, off this course. That as the American church goes, so the American government goes. Any problems I see with political systems and things going on in my nation, I can't blame them. I've got to look here. As I, I was talking about the judgment seat of Christ. I, I, I had some scriptures for it. I don't know if I'm going to go there. There's, I said we are all going to stand. In 1 Corinthians, I think it says this, that we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and have to give an account for everything we've done right and everything we've done wrong. We will be accepted, right? All of Jesus' blood is going to atone for everything I've ever done wrong. Praise God. I will not have to live for eternity with consequences of what I've done wrong. But it says there's books are going to be opened. Not just the book of life that my name is written there. Whew, I'm saved. I get to go to heaven. But books, meaning God records everything I do, everything I think, every attitude. He's recording it all down. And there will be a day that those books are going to be opened and he's going to remind me of all the things I've done wrong, all the things I've done right. And praise God, at the end of all those things I've done wrong, Jesus' blood will atone for all that. And I'll never have to live with guilt or shame or consequence that evermore. But it says there is a recording of everything we've done. I know for me there's already some things written down where I have not been praying for or been involved the way that God would call me to be involved in the church praying for leaders, praying for my enemies. I won't just make it specific to the governor of our state or the president of our country or just government. I'll just say enemies, people we don't get along with, people that see things differently than us, people that might be in this room that have a different stance on the vaccine, right? No one likes talking about it. It's, it's like it gets heated when we talk about certain things. We love to say that we have our corner of truth. Well, if they were as educated as I am about what I know, you know, they wouldn't be so dumb. On both sides, I've heard people say the same thing. When do we actually just, with humility, 
learn how to treat others better than ourselves? When do we actually take on repentance and say, you know what, I'm not going to stand for my rights and I'm actually going to prefer one another in love. Let me read some more scripture. Hmm. All right, I'll do this one. Isaiah 57, 15 says this. For this is what the high and majestic one says, the one who fills the eternal realm with glory, whose name is holy. I dwell in high and holy places, but also with the bruised and lowly in spirit, those who are humble and quick to repent. I dwell with them to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the hearts of those who are broken over their sin. As I was reading this, the Lord is talking about revival. He brings to revival to those who are humble, to those who are broken over their sin. I keep praying for revival. I keep saying, oh God, bring revival to America. Bring revival to the church. And God is saying, yeah, I want to bring revival, Ryan. And it starts with the humble. And those who actually look at themselves and say, oh, there's sin in my life. And I'm going to turn from that sin. He brings revival to the humble. Oh. Not to them out there who are doing bad things that need the judgment of God. No, not them. I love the statement, right? Well, I say, I don't know that I can actually say I love the statement because it's kind of hard to say. Judgment starts in the house of God. Judgment starts in the house of God, in the temple of the living God. Before I ever try to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God, I've got to learn how to proclaim it here. God, come. Come have vengeance over the things that don't please you inside of here. Again, not fun things to receive maybe this morning, but it's with a hope that God wants to bring revival, that God wants to heal, right? Oh, man, we quote this all the time, right? Chronicles, if my people, not America, but people who are Christ followers, if my people will humble themselves, and pray, right? Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Not those people out there turning from their wicked ways, but the people inside the church turn from their wicked ways. Oh, then I'll hear from heaven, right? I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. I love the end result is a healed land. But it starts with the house of God. It starts with the people of God being broken and turning from their own sins, right? Uh, this is my own devotional time, and it came up in, in early morning prayer too, right? That it talks about John the Baptist preparing the way for the Lord. And I've been praying, God, I want to prepare for a billion soul harvest. I want to prepare for a revival. I want the church to be a beautiful, radiant bride so that when you come, man, you're going to accept a beautiful, radiant bride. I'm so ready for that, God. And John the Baptist, he prepared the way of the Lord. And what did he preach? Repent. Repent. Oh, if I want to prepare the way of the Lord, I've got to repent. Not them out there, here. So can I, I, I'll just say it publicly. I did it on Wednesday. I blurted something, whether you were here last Sunday and whether you even caught it or not. I said something last Sunday about our governor that it was not honoring. And I was wrong. So can I ask even publicly, can I ask for your forgiveness for what I said and what I displayed in dishonoring our governor? Would you please forgive me? Yes. 
Thank you. Okay. So that's part of repentance is recognizing where you're wrong and now turning. And that's why I kind of gave you that example. This whole last week, my prayers, can I, can I even tell you this? I actually got weepy, tears in my eyes of just compassion over that man where I was angry. The Lord did something supernatural. Where I just began to have compassion for him. And I'm praying, this isn't specific this morning just to talk about our governor. I'm saying this can happen in all of our lives for someone that you have a hard time with. Jesus kept saying things that were so difficult. Bless those who persecute you. Do good to those who spitefully use you. Love your enemies. (laughs) These are not easy ones to swallow. But God, have your way in me. I want to be like Christ. Oh, man, okay, super quick. I, I was even doing my own quick little study, looking at Jesus. Do you know Jesus met a governor? Pilate, who was a governor. And it's amazing in that interaction, that small story of them together. Pilate met Jesus for the first time. As you read that story, Pilate liked Jesus. He advocated Let's like release this. Do you want this horrible murderer or Jesus? Which one should I release to you? Like he's trying to manipulate the system to let Jesus go free. Wow. What if the governor of California liked Christians because we weren't offensive to him? That we actually saw us as not an opposition. Jesus wasn't in opposition to what Pilate was. He's like, my kingdom is not of this world. Oh, Pilate's like, oh, you, you're, not, you're not my problem. Pilate saw the problem. Who do you see the problem was? The religious Pharisees. Oh, thorn in my side. I wonder how much, I'm sorry, this is so, I had no idea I was getting so political for so long. I wonder how much of our American government sees the church as a thorn in their side when we're meant to be like Christ. Paul, keep going. Well, it's not just Jesus. Well, that was Jesus. Paul. A Roman citizen, yes, we love to remind ourselves that he was a Roman citizen. He, defended, he stood up for his rights. Hey, you don't have a right to beat me. I'm a Roman citizen, right? But what was his every single interaction with a Roman centurion or person that was an authority with Rome? They all ended up liking the guy. They listened to what he had to do in the shipwreck. Well, let's listen to this guy. It says that uh, the, um, oh. oh, there's several other things, but Paul does, right? Even when he's, Paul and Silas are in jail. And there's an earthquake, and he's supernaturally set free. And then Paul sees that the guard is about to kill himself. He's like, no, 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 don't, don't kill yourself. He has enough compassion and love for his enemy, who has probably just put the things, you know, bound him up, put, made his life miserable. And Paul just exudes compassion to this Roman guard. He says, no, 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 don't kill yourself. None of us have left. We're not going anywhere. We'll stay in jail so that you can stay alive. What? And what happens to that Roman guard? He brings Paul to his house, and his whole household is saved. And it's not till the next day that Paul is actually released. Paul stayed an extra day in jail because of his compassion for a Roman who didn't know the Lord. Wow, it sounds a lot like Jesus. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a changed mindset. What if we as Christians began to view anyone who's not a Christian as pre-Christians? They're not anti-Christians. They're pre-Christians. It's just they haven't been 
exposed to the goodness of God like I have. Once they get exposed to so much of the goodness of God, they're going to be Christians like me. They just need to be exposed to that much compassion and kindness, right? It's his kindness that leads us towards repentance. Oh, man. So I'm going through my Rolodex of things to, to hit. All right, I'll do this one really quick, and then I'll come back to that one. Um, it says, kindness that leads us towards repentance. And then I thought about this, Psalm 23. David says this, surely his goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I have prayed that. I have quoted that. I thank God for that because I've seen it in my life where, man, God's goodness just keeps bailing me out of problems. His mercies are new every morning. And just in my life, I can look back at my life and I can see the path of my life. Oh, my goodness. God has been so good to me. He's been so merciful to me. But I've been praying this week that I wouldn't just have God's goodness and mercy following me so that I'm the, benef- I'm the beneficiary of his goodness and mercy, but that I would learn to leave a pathway of goodness and mercy. Everywhere I go, goodness and mercy follows me because it's so much on my life. Like Paul, I look at Paul's life. The goodness of God, the joy of the Lord was so over that man that he could be in a, in a dungeon, the worst place in the world, and the joy of the Lord was just all over him, that everywhere he went, whether he left the jail cell, he left a trail of goodness, of mercy, of kindness, that everyone's like, man, who was that guy? We've had thousands of people in this jail before, but there's something different. When he left this jail cell, there's still the presence and the goodness of God is in this jail cell. He's leaving this trail. What if that was you and me? What if everywhere we went into work, into places that were the complete opposite of us, that were evil, and they're like, man, they just smell like goodness. There's this aroma of Christ that follows them everywhere they go. It's like mercy just keeps following. They just keep being merciful. Like every day, their mercies are new every morning. Sounds like God. I'll end on this one last story. Matthew chapter 18 talking about this beautiful radiant bride i want the church to be on fire to be glorious to be beautiful god i want the church to do great things and that's a good thing right but jesus says if you want to be great how do you get there be the least of these unless you become like this child unless you humble yourself in fact he says that in verse 4 matthew 18 uh, verse 4 whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven Humility is the key to greatness. But he said in the verse before, you must be converted and become like a child or you can't even enter the kingdom of God. There's some things that need to be converted in the church. There's some things that need to be converted in Ryan's mind, in Ryan's heart. I believe I'm not the only one in this room. There's some things that need to be converted in the way that we think and view things. Yeah, as the worship team comes up, because we're running out of time. As the worship team gets up here, I'm going to read to you um, just a short little devotional. It's two paragraphs. But the title of this devotional is A Perspective Change. And so if I could have you just, if you could even just close your eyes. Sometimes I listen better because I'm not going to have the words on the screen. I listen better when I'm not distracted with things. So if you could just close your eyes and listen to this devotional. To find God's perspective, we first let go of our own. We unreservedly release our need to control. We quiet ourselves in his presence. 
And rather than talking, asking, and complaining, we listen. If we'd stop pressing in so hard for a breakthrough and instead actually believe it's coming, we'd find peace. And in that peace, in the place where we enjoy him for who he is and not just for what he can do, we see everything differently. One of the things that happen when we've been broken and have found God more profoundly than our, than our suffering is that we begin to see his hand in everything. And when the enemy causes terrible things to happen, we're immediately convinced God's good must be on the other side. Sometimes it takes not being able to see straight and to be completely emptied of self to finally be able to see through his eyes. Father, I want to know your heart more than I want to fight for my own way. So I say yes to you today. Yes to surrendering, surrendering all. Yes to believing you can turn something terrible into something amazing. Yes to trusting despite what I see. Come and reveal yourself to me. Give me your perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could just stay, we're going to sing one last worship song. You're free to stand and just join in on the last worship song. You're free to stay seated. You're free to kneel. But I would love for you in this last worship song, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Is there something specific that he's putting his finger on? Is there a relationship? Is there an attitude? And I would love for you just to be real and honest with the Lord. I love what that dad said to Jesus one time. I believe, but help my unbelief. The reality is there's something in me, God, that I know you're changing and there's still fear to change completely. But whatever I have right now, I, I freely give to you. I open up myself to the begin the process of changing. Maybe it can't all happen in one moment, but I'm open to the idea of being transformed by the renewing of my mind. So as we sing this song, just spend some time with the Lord. Respond. Like I said, you can sing, you can kneel, you can be still. But let's take that posture of humility. Allowing his joy to come. His revival to come. His beauty to come. But it's all on the other side of humility.